Welcome to Strike Deck Radio, a podcast focused on customer success and the leaders who are implementing best practices in our field. This podcast is brought to you by Strike Deck and the Success League. Strike Deck is a customer success automation platform that helps CSMs effectively manage their customer relationships. The Strike Deck solution enables churn prevention, upsells, and customer advocacy. They use machine learning and predictive analytics to bubble up insights and alerts about customer health, sentiment, and engagement. The Success League is a consulting firm focused on customer success. We work with executives who are ready to build and develop a top-performing customer success team that drives retention and revenue for their organization. We also offer training programs for CSMs and customer success leaders. For more information, you can visit our website at thesuccessleague.io. My name is Kristen Hare, and I'm the host of Strike Deck Radio and the founder and CEO of the Success League. I'm so excited to welcome Bill Cushard to our show today. Bill is the director of marketing at Service Rocket and the author of The Art of Agile Marketing. We're going to be talking about customer education today, and Bill will be sharing some practical approaches to building out a client training program. So, Bill, welcome to the show. Oh, my gosh, Kristen. I'm so excited to be here. You can't even believe it. (laughs) I'm excited you're here. So you're our first guest who isn't technically a customer success leader, but you are very actively involved in our customer success community. And I love hearing about how people ended up in customer success. Can you share a little bit about your career path with us? Sure, but um, I'm a little hurt you don't think I'm actually in customer success, you know. Well, everyone's technically in customer success. <laughs> that's what I'm saying. Every time I go to a conference, uh, they're lecturing me that cu- customer success is an attitude or a philosophy or a culture yeah. and it shouldn't be a job title. And maybe, maybe I'm actually one of the few who's literally acting that way. Without the you, title, who knows? You probably, well, I don't know. I'm just there's kidding. a few Maybe. of you guys, I think. But um, no, you're, yeah. I should have reworded that. It's really, no. you're one of the first guests that doesn't have customer success in their title. True, totally, yes. Yeah, yeah it's, I have a marketing role. And um, so my background, I basically have a background in uh, employee and corporate education. Uh-huh. I spent um, a lot of my career training new employees on how to do their job at, at, at E-Trade, for example. Um when I left E-Trade, I got in, started into consulting and sort of customer education. I was an e-learning consultant at Accenture mm-hmm. um, for a while. So I started moving my career towards this customer education mode. I wanted to be closer to the, to the revenue and closer to the sun so I can get burned, of course. <laughs> you know? um, and I translated that into a marketing uh, role because you know, a certain style of marketing can be very educational. You know, content marketing is that way. And uh, that really suits my personality to be in marketing, but also take an educational approach to it. So I look at my role as still, uh, my career is helping people and organizations adopt software, however we want to define that, right? That's mm-hmm. my sort of professional purpose in life, whether it's writing a book on how to use software or teaching classes or doing marketing stuff. You know, my whole mission is if we can help people use software better, they'll probably do their jobs better and all kinds of good things come from that, right? Absolutely. So I know that's kind of aligned with Service Rocket and what your company does. Can you tell us a little bit more about Service Rocket and the company's mission? Yes, Service Rocket is in the business of software adoption. And if you think about it, we do that in four ways. Okay. We do that, of course, with customer education because our point of view is 
education sets people up right proactively in the first place. Mm-hmm. Um, but we also have a consulting practice where we actually help software com- uh, enterprise companies that are purchasing software configure, implement, uh, set up, administer, migrate, integrate their software that they're buying. So they set it up the way they want to work. Okay. And we have a support practice. So we do um, support for other software tools as well. And finally, we actually build software applications that connect different software tools together. So, you know, one of our most popular apps is the Jira to Salesforce connector. Okay, yeah. Right. I can so, imagine. Yeah. <laughs> you have engineers in Jira and you have salespeople and service people doing cases and support. Absolutely. And yeah. You got to bring those people together without giving each other licenses to the other software and spending all that extra money. Right. So. Right. Yeah. yeah. Oh, very cool. So we're going to talk today about customer education. And we really haven't done an episode on this yet, although we've definitely touched on the topic mm-hmm. in a couple of the other episodes. Um, before we get started, can you just tell me why you believe customer training and education is such an important topic in our field? I think you know, there's two broad reasons why it's important, and then there's lots of little micro reasons. But mm-hmm. you know, for one, education is a means to help uh, someone new to something become self-sufficient a lot more quickly than me just doing a consulting engagement. And then, at least that's our point of view on the matter. Because mm-hmm. if I can design an education event in the right way, and pick the right topic and do it the right way. I can get a team of people to be doing things on their own a lot more quickly than just scheduling a bunch of meetings and showing people one at a time. Uh, Particularly if I do that in a setting where it's a one-to-many scenario or multiple one-to-many scenarios, right? Um, So that's the second reason, which is Mm -hmm. education can be very scalable and I don't just mean you can put up a bunch of videos and a million people can just watch them with no help from a team like you, right? right. Um, but the fact that you could make someone more self-sufficient, uh-huh. they can go out and do their work on their own without coming back to you every little time they need to learn something new because you've taught them not just product features, but maybe you've taught them concepts or other things that scale into, oh, I can figure out how to do this thing in the software because this soft, the, the company taught me how to do this concept or what's possible in the software so I can go figure it out on my own. Yeah. So I, you know, I have to admit when I think of um, customer training, I, the first thing that pops into my mind is sort of product training. Totally. But I think it's, it's bigger than that. So outside of product training, what else do you think that customer training should include? So I'll start with a story that's out there on the edges, and then I'll get more practical with some stories, but to answer that question. uh, And think of Walt Disney 40 years ago or 50 years ago, trying to find animators so that he can make his movies. (laughs) Yeah. Right. That That was an innovative, innovative technology that nobody knew how to do. So of course, Disney could choose to train new people. Um, or instead what he did was founded a art school in Pasadena. And that school today is called the California Institute of the Arts, which is a standalone private art school. And people show up there for dance classes and art and all kinds of art. Um, Oh, that's cool. I didn't know he founded that. He did. And the expressed purpose was so that he could have a talent pool of educated people that he could hire so that he could make version two of Snow White. I mean, it's as simple as that. Yeah. So, If we translate that to what a software company could do, um, think about what HubSpot 
has done, even before uh-huh. their product was perfect. So in the early days when naturally software products aren't as good as they are later, um, they started with offering an inbound marketing certification on their website. And this certification program was geared not at the product. It did not teach the product specifically. It taught people what inbound marketing is because at the time, inbound marketing did not exist as a concept in marketing. So not only did they write the book called Inbound, but they started this inbound marketing certification. And so what people started to do was get that credential so they could put that badge on their profile and on their website says, Hey, I'm inbound marketing certified by HubSpot and guess which software I'm going to buy when I become a marketing manager, I'm going to buy HubSpot. So they led with teaching the job to be done in many ways. Um, Cloudera did the same thing. They, and they still do. They offer a class called introduction to data science. It doesn't have to be about the product. This is about how to do data science conceptually which is obviously very hard, right? Um, So you could go out and teach people the job. And a third example I I like to use is Good Data. They're a BI intelligence tool, and they teach a class on how to run an analytics implementation project, right? Right. Setting up a new BI tool and getting your data model right and syncing it up with all the data sources and producing the dashboards and getting the team to buy in and all the stakeholders that takes effort beyond the product. That's the methodology of how to right. run it. And so any software company could teach a course on their methodology for one, how do you roll our product out to the whole organization or the methodology for how to work in this new way? Because that's what all software does for us. It enables us to work in a new and innovative and different way. And the more disruptive your software is, the more important it is to teach your audience, your customers, how to work in this new way, not even including the product. Right. Yeah, I love that. We just recorded a podcast recently about change management, and that's that's a yes. huge piece of this. It's like how do not only how do you use the solution, but how what have what have your best customers done to fully incorporate it into how they run their business? And it's pretty exciting. That's so true because, you know, obviously you, know, you, you said it, you know, we're obviously want to go straight to our product feature training because that's what people yeah. want. But, and you have to do that. Yes. But sometimes the problem is the people you're teaching have nothing to do with the purchasing decision to, in the, in the first place to buy your software. So right. they show up to these videos or to these live training classes and they go, why am I here? I have sticky notes. Why am I using this software? You know, I have email. I don't, they don't know why they're there. They don't know what the concept is, you know? And so when they get Salesforce for the first time, 15 years ago, they just think it's a contact manager. Oh, I can add someone's name. Okay, great. I can already do that. So why am right. I here? Yeah. I, I think the change management component mm-hmm. is huge and, and best practices too, really, you know, what, a, what are your yeah. best customers doing with your solution that Make them yeah. your best customers. So that's that can really, be a part of training too. Oh my gosh, yes. And that's kind of also an underused method where how about we have customers learning from each other and or teaching from each other, even if we're yeah. the ones sort of just, you know, finding those stories and then translating them into, hey, you could do something like they did and because they're like you, right? It's that whole social proof thing, right? Right. Well, and that kind of leads to my next question. So let's get into some specifics. So 
that's one way that um, you can train your customers is by using other customers. But what are some of the other ways that customer success teams can educate their clients? Oh my gosh. Well, I mean, do you want to talk about methods? We could talk about like the specific methods for doing that. Yeah. Uh, Yeah. Because, you know, you could do videos, you could do live training, you could fly Mm -hmm. to their office and show up on site for four days and, and do a thing. And, and you can do everything in between. And I see a lot of people struggling with asking the question, well, which method of all of those is better? And Mm -hmm. you have to ask that question first because the science will tell you that it doesn't matter. Meaning whenever we've studied science, whenever the social scientists have studied outcomes from either online training or live training, which is the common difference, Mm -hmm. there is no difference in outcomes. So with this caveat, the instructional design has to be good. So if you have good instructional design for a self-paced thing and good instructional design for a live thing with an instructor, you compare those two and there's no difference in the outcomes. But if you have a poorly designed live training class and a well-designed online training class, the online is better. Got it. Right. So the question is not what is better live or on demand. The question Uh really is, um, which should we offer and which should we offer first? Because the ultimate answer is you have to offer all of it. Yeah, I, I, I really believe in that because I think that people learn in different ways too. And so there's the, the idea of, you know, what do people prefer? And there's the idea mm-hmm. of how do you best communicate certain topics? But then I think there's also different learning styles that must play into this too. Oh my gosh, you are not going to like my answer to okay. that. Because um, I, I think and in the literature that's out there in learning science, the learning styles things has been debunked over and over and over again. They, really? do, not, they do not exist, right? Okay. And, and you know, it isn't even controversial in the education space that, that there are no learning styles. That's just like baseline normal education, that learning style. It's all of us normal people that think, oh, man, I'm an auditory learner, and I only learn when I watch a video. Um, but there is a very good book, if anyone's interested in this subject of learning science, there's a very good book called Make It Stick. And it turns out the, there are three main, I'm sort of overly summarizing it. You can read the book, but okay, how people learn is based on basically three things. One is that what they're learning needs to be mixed up. In other okay. words, if you think about it this way, how a lot of us learned how to learn is that you master one thing at a time, right? Okay. And then you go on to the next thing and then you master that and you memorize that and you test yourself on that. And then you, then you go on to the next thing. But it turns out when you mix the topics up, you learn better. Your outcomes are better. That's interesting. Yes. So we as designers should think about, you know, before we just go into our learning objectives, we shouldn't just cover one topic at a time. We or in a feature training, we should not just do one tab at a time kind of a thing. We should mix it up in different ways. Okay. The second principle of how people learn is to space things out. So I shouldn't try to cram it all in. I should spend a little bit of time on one topic and come back to it a week later or some, there needs to be some break, Yeah. right? You need to space it out. And what we do in software training is 
We get the customers on the line and we try to cram everything into the first hour or to the first day. And we just add 27 more slides and you get to five minutes left and you still have 40 slides to go and you go, bam, 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 bam. And that's awful, right? You have to space it out. And that's so hard for us to do and get our customers to come back. But we as designers then need, need to figure out how can we deliver topics to our customers over time and mm-hmm. not all at once. So that needs to be some decisions on which topics does someone need to learn in day one or in period one, period two, mm-hmm. period three, and sort of yeah. space them out, right? Yeah. Almost like it, a, oh, I was going to say intuitively that really makes sense to me because yeah. you know having led a bunch of teams it really seems like people need time to absorb material in between training sessions because they have to think about it and apply mm-hmm. it and test it and try it. And so then true. if they do that, they're going to come back and be much more prepared to learn it at a deeper level for oh the gosh. next round. And you know, Kristen, what's funny is what we say when that happens is we sort of blame our customers by saying, oh, people just have short attention spans. and so, so therefore, our training needs to be as short and as minimal as possible. Um, and then we say, well, no wonder our customers aren't using our software. So you have to double click into that. And it says, well, well, of course, we either overwhelm them with too much or we took the other extreme and said, no, we're not going to give them anything more. We're only going to give them 10 minutes at a time. You know, this webinar can only be 30 minutes because no one has attention span. And it's not really the attention span. It's more like um, we're either giving them too much or maybe the wrong thing at the wrong time. Yeah. Right? Yeah, interesting. So less about learning style, more about the structure of the training. Yeah, and the last it, yes, and there's the third one, which is the 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 most brutal one of all. It's the hardest for all of us to accept. But the third principle of how we learn is to r- retrieve what we have learned. So in other words, and the harder we work at trying to retrieve something we've learned, the more we learn. So uh-huh. this is the part nobody wants to hear. But if we need to get our we need to get our customers to think from their own brain to think, oh, what did I learn? And how do I do that? Uh-huh. And why would I do that? And how does it work if a customer you have to get them to retrieve it from their brain because they already uh-huh. know it. And so um that's hard to do in on-demand training. It's simpler to do with an instructor because that person can facilitate and you can create uh-huh. exercises. But if you can get your customers to retrieve in their brain something they already know that you taught them yesterday or the week before or the whatever, um, you will do a, yourself a huge service in uh, helping customers like figure out, oh, I know what to do now. Yeah, it's almost like homework, you know. Kind of. You, you, have, to, you have to have sort of a structure that enables them to go back and get that knowledge and apply it. Um, we do that in our training programs through, you know, exercises, but then also when we're doing live workshops, we have everyone go around at the beginning and the end, the beginning, they say what they want to learn. And at the end, they say their biggest takeaway. And Mm -hmm. it's, it's interesting information for me, but it's not for me. It's for them to solidify the information that they learned in their brain. So you're doing it. That's what you should be doing, right? Getting them to think Think at the end, okay, now what did yeah. I learn today? And what am I going to, how am I going to apply it or whatever? Right. Yeah. Oh, that's interesting. So learning styles totally debunked, huh? Debunked. And I'm not the only one that says this. I went to a meetup two or three years ago at Udemy and there they have some chief learning scientists and 
And she gave a whole presentation uh, also explaining the same kind of thing. And everyone in the room was like, no, that's impossible. I'm definitely a kinesthetic learner. And this woman is like, no, you're not. <laughs> that's really funny. <laughs> yeah. No, it, make, it makes sense. Those, those three um, things that enable learning that you said, you know, make intuitive sense to me, although I had never heard it put that way before. You know, it's like um, just one less thing on this is the, the, the analogy is, See, the truth is my preference might be auditory learning. Like it mm -hmm. might be to, to read a book, but that doesn't technically mean I learn better that way. It just means I prefer that. Just like being healthy. I prefer to eat pizza, but that doesn't mean I'm going to be healthier. <laughs> I mean, right? That's and a that's, good analogy. It's a good analogy because <laughs> it's a preference. These learning yeah. styles are preferences. They're not a thing that actually makes you learn better. At least that's what the science says. Got it. Okay. That makes sense to me. You kind of touched on this, but I, I really want to call it out because I get questions about this. So what are the pros and cons of on-site versus online training or, or live versus recorded training? Are there some examples where those are more appropriate or less appropriate that you could share with oh, the audience? Yeah. That's a really good question because I also said that it doesn't matter which one you pick. Uh, <laughs> um, so in an obvious way, having an instructor with a student has a pretty high level of value for the mm -hmm. simple reason that an instructor can sense the room or the go-to whatever, but also the students can ask questions, all right? So there's this back and forth that could occur. If in the moment I don't understand something, I can ask a question, get something clarified, and I can move on. That has a lot of value, and you cannot do that with self-paced training very well. Um, so the advantage of live training is that expertise in the room that I can ask. Now, you know, the downside of that is the expert instructor cannot be everywhere, whereas right. the uh, video is everywhere. Because if it's on YouTube or it's on your website embedded, um, you could have a million customers watching it at the same time and getting uh -huh. some knowledge from it, right? Now, the downside of the video is that you don't have that interaction for one, but also you can't, um, that video only covers that topic. And so you, right. it's not very, you can't jump around the way a student might want to go with an instructor. And also right. in software, the moment your software changes, those videos are out of date and they right. got to redo all the videos and it takes a long time to make videos. Whereas Heck, if an instructor has some slides and the software is different, well, the instructor can just in the moment say, oh, I see. They move the button. I'll just explain uh -huh. to you. It's how it, and let me just show you live in production. This is how it looks now. And go, oh, I see. Okay, fine. Right? So there are definitely trade-offs, right? Um, yeah. And you have to make these decisions. Also, the trade-offs are if you only have videos, the negative is the large enterprise customer that asks you, can you fly out to us and teach my whole team because we're special and we're big and we're Wells Fargo or we're, you know, we expect <laughs> yeah. to pay for training and that's how we like to learn. And you're like, I can't do that. Here's a video. And then they laugh yeah. at you. They laugh at you. I don't want a video. I'm Wells Fargo. Um, yeah. And vice versa. If you only have live stuff and you have innovative customers that just, just give me the video. I'm a, I'm an innovator and you go, I don't have a video. And then, well, we can send someone out for $10,000 a day. And the startup says, are you crazy? I can't afford that. So yeah. there's all these trade-offs and you have to deal with those, right? Interesting. Okay. 
So that, that makes sense. And, and I think you explained that really well, but that's a question I get a lot from our customers. So I appreciate you getting into that. Before we continue with the rest of the interview, we're going to take a quick break for a word from our sponsors. Today, I'd like to talk about one type of consulting engagement we offer at the Success League. Customer success deep dives last between three days and two weeks and are focused on helping companies plan a customer success program tailored to their organization. Common deep dive topics include metrics and goals, hiring and compensation, customer journey mapping, and segmentation. Each deep dive session includes concrete deliverables like business models and annual plans that you can quickly put to use. If you need help with planning for 2019, a deep dive engagement is a great way to kickstart your efforts. Visit the consulting page on our website, thesuccessleague.io, for more information. I also want to mention StrikeDeck's new Customer 360 template. This free download is the best way to figure out if you're ready for a customer success tool. It is an automated spreadsheet that will help you keep track of all your current customers, generating an individual health score for each one. Quick reports can be easily developed through the Analytics tab, and tasks can be tracked on the Task Manager. If you're looking for a quick, simple-to-use, yet robust solution for your CS needs, StrikeDeck's Customer 360 template is the tool for you. Download your copy today at strikedeck.com. And now, back to our interview. So, Bill, a big question I get from our customers at the Success League is whether or not they should charge for training. I kind of go back and forth on it because I sort of think, well, if it takes training to get a customer to be successful, isn't that kind of already a part of customer success? But then there's a part of me that's like, yeah, but training has value, so you should charge for it. So I go back and forth on it. What what are your thoughts on that? 100% charge for training. And if you don't, it's kooky talk. Okay. Okay. So now there are caveats. (laughs) Yes. Because it's a, I say that with a strong point of view, just to make point that, um, you know, think about free, free literally means no value. And so that's the way I look at it. And not to mention, if you do a whole bunch of stuff for free, eventually you're going to have to pay for that. And Mm -hmm. someone's going to wonder why are we spending all this internal money on this stuff and people are just consuming it or not for free. How are we going to have enough resources to update the material or add to it or change it or improve it? And the finance team says, we can't spend any money on that. And so um, so putting that stuff aside, the real mm-hmm. answer is some stuff should be free, some stuff should be a lower middle price, and some stuff should be very expensive. Okay. And that's because you have different customers and different customers have different needs. So okay. in economics, there's a concept called price discrimination or you price a a similar product at different rates. Because um, some people are in a rush and they come into a store and they're perfectly happy to pay full price and $5 for an avocado. Mm Because I'm in a rush, I want an avocado now. And other people won't buy an avocado until they're on sale for 48 cents a piece. And they're perfectly happy to wait. And if you only do 48 cent avocados or you only do $5 avocados, you're only going to get one of those customers instead of both Mm -hmm. of those customers. So the way I look at it is 
you do need the videos that are free on your website that are the stuff customers need to get going and get the feature mm-hmm. of learning and like get me on my way. Um, but if you look at but the laggards, the late adopter type of customers and or customers at larger organizations, they don't these individual people don't want to go to the dentist office and sit there with an iPad and watch your videos to learn or do mm-hmm. it on a weekend on their own time. You know, they want to show up at class at, at 830 in the office. You come in and show me how to do it on my work time and do this. And plus, larger companies are more likely to have budgets for this. And in some cases, large organizations almost require that training is included in big software deals. Mm-hmm. So you have to have something for all of those customers. Yeah, I, I, I think that's an interesting way to look at it. I also think there's a component of if people spend, even if it's just a nominal amount of money for something, they're much more likely to actually use it. And yeah. it's, you know, it's having some skin in the game. And so, you know, even if, even if what you want to do is is have something that's pretty inexpensive for your customers, mm-hmm. having it cost a little bit of something, yeah. I think is good because they're more likely to actually use that piece of training. And then that has benefits for you and customer success down the road because they're going to adopt your solution more fully and use it in better ways and all of that. Yeah. And I, I agree with that, though I don't have the science behind that. But yes, if something is free, you just like, I'm just not going to show up to that. Or I'll get to the video tomorrow. And of course, you never sure. watch the video, right? Yeah. Um, but that goes to the point where you can take a like a freemium model approach to even training. You know, some stuff mm-hmm. is free. Some stuff is low price. You want to add features like the new feature is to have the instructor there. Right. That costs mm-hmm. extra. Yeah. If you want me to fly to you. So I look at it as a value continuum, right? From yeah. videos, like the analogy is YouTube, I can listen to a song for free, or I could mm-hmm. buy the single track for a dollar on iTunes. I could go to the concert for 80 bucks, or I could pay for the, the musician to come to my house, I'll pay for the Rolling Stones to come to my house. Guess how much that's yeah. going to cost, right? So <laughs> you, it's sort of, you have to have them all. Now, the question is where do you start, of course, but you need to build up to a point where you're offering options. Yeah. Okay. That makes sense. So another question we get a lot is about tools and companies seem like they're often looking for tools to use um, when they want to offer online training or videos. Mm-hmm. So I know your solution is one choice, but not right. everyone can afford that. Right. So what are some options and other tools and choices for people kind of on the spectrum from free to fancy? Yeah. I mean, free would be any number of these um, screen capture, screen recording tools where you can mm-hmm. record, you know, do this and do that and do this and do that. And then, record the video and put that somewhere, YouTube or Wistia or wherever. And then you can do that as long as you want. The only expense is someone's time to do that. Yeah. You know, that's what you should do. Now you you should not, if you have nothing today, you should not go out and buy an LMS from day one. Um, Although there are companies that do that. Uh Um, But I would say that's a company that knows what they're doing. So they're they're saying strategically training is going to be a major part of our offering. And so they do that. But um, that's at the edges, right? So now for live training, you can just use Zoom or GoToMeeting or one of those tools. And mm-hmm. for $50 a month or $100 a month or a few, not very much money a month, 
you can get an instructor in front of your customers mm-hmm. and do a whole bunch of stuff and have a one-to-many delivery of learning with an instructor. And that can be extraordinarily inexpensive. The expense is the time. Right. Right. So that's what I would do. Now, if you want to get fancy, you can set up a landing page on your marketing automation. So you have a registration page so you can track that. Mm-hmm. You, know, you can do that. But you know, you want to get to an LMS because that kind of work is going to be manual. And that's right. okay for a while, right? You want to, to you want to do things that don't scale at the beginning. Um, but the the time when you start to need an LMS is when that manual work is really overwhelming. And an LMS kind of automates a lot of this. Plus it consolidates your data so that yeah. you know who took what and when they took it and who didn't do it, right? Yeah. I think that's important for the, um, you know, as you, as companies move toward things like certification programs or totally, partner yes. programs where partners need to be certified and things like that. Those kinds of tools are super helpful. Oh, yes. Okay. Well, that, that helps because I, you know, I have a lot of people that are like, what can we do for, you know, cheap or what can we do that's pretty simple? And I think there's a lot of things that people can do. So I appreciate you sharing some yeah, ideas. Yeah, really are. So if one of our listeners wanted to start building out a customer training program or wanted to refine what they have right now, how would you recommend that they get started? I would, if you have nothing today, I would uh-huh. start with virtual instructor-led training, get a okay. go-to training account or a Zoom account or Blue Jeans or what, something like that, and um, then create content on topics that are important to your customers, right? But, mm-hmm. but do it that way. And then, and I'll give the reason in a second, but make the content and the topics, you had to minimize them as much as possible to the most yeah. high value jobs to be done or outcomes you want a customer to do. So don't approach it as we have to teach someone how to use our software. Approach it as how am I going to help our customer make that thing in our software that they bought it for? Or um, do that, do those three tasks that we think are the most valuable. That's how you should approach it. And then like ignore all the other extra features. If they ask for it, then add that later, right? Yeah. But minimize that. Now, the reason I say start with live training is because everyone listening here has someone in their company that they could put in front of a customer today to explain how to do stuff in the software with probably little prep. So sure. Now you got to put slides together. You have to do things to make it look organized, right? With the proper learning objectives. You have to do all of that. But the prep to do that is minimal compared to, okay, we have to create these videos and organize them and upload them and mm-hmm. compile them and do, get the codec and, and process them. And, and, and by the way, the software changes. Now i got to redo all the videos. And so you start with live and then you sort of get feedback cycles and you, you know what they like and what they don't like and what topics resonate and what doesn't like. Once you get those really dialed in as a habit, then you can then start building out your on-demand training. Yeah, that makes sense. I, one idea um, for people that are listening, if you're trying to figure out what are those three to five topics that you yeah. should start with, go look at your support tickets that come in in the first 30 days of a customer's life cycle. And that'll give you some really good information about where you can start and the things that all customers are kind of running into. And you can you know, kind of kill two birds with one stone, get your customers trained and then also cut down on support tickets. 100% agree with that. That's yeah. a treasure trove of data in, your, in the support ticket system. Yeah. Yeah. So try that. 
Well, I want to ask you our last question. This is what we ask all of our guests. What do you see is the biggest trend in customer success right now and why? Hmm. Well, you know, I'm really seeing four trends. Two of them are bad and two of them are good, but let me, I'll just stick to <laughs> one because you asked okay. for one is customer education is a marketing strategy. Okay. So that's a trend. It isn't exactly new, but I think we've lost our way. Otherwise, most of us think customer training is about a new customer signs up. They need to learn our product. So we send our trainers or our post-sales experts and we show them how to use it. But there are so many software companies that are taking training out of the customer target audience and into the top of the funnel Mm. as a marketing strategy to help people learn about this problem, learn about the solution, and learn about how your product is a solution to the particular problem that people are having. And the examples I cited at the beginning of, of HubSpot and Cloudera and Good Data, and even the Walt Disney story, right? It's like that's recruiting marketing, isn't it? To start an art school. And right. so to have education gated and only available to customers, when you're trying to change the world with your software, you can't change the world if you wait until they become a customer before you share it with them. Right. So Customer education really is a marketing strategy in that sense. That's happening. Yeah. No, I, I actually just had a phone call with a pretty large company this morning to talk about that very thing ah, and, that's and cool. how they're, how they're um, you know, looking for some customer success thought leadership mm-hmm. to really grow the front end of what they're doing, which is, it's fantastic to see yeah. that. Yeah. Very cool. Well, Bill, I appreciate you taking the time to join us on today's podcast. This was a great discussion on a really important topic. And I know that our audience took away a lot of practical tips from what you had to say. So thanks so much. My pleasure. That was great. So um, can you tell people how to get your book? Oh, yeah. We have a book coming out. And by the time this airs, I think it might be out. Um, It's a book called Breakaway, How Fast-Growing Software Companies Create Markets and Win Customers with Customer Education. And we, okay. this book is all about how, how to run an education function as a growth engine, not just training features. So that's on Amazon. Um, the Kindle version will be out first, and then paperback will be coming shortly. Perfect. Thank you. I also want to thank our sponsors, Strike Deck and the Success League. To learn more about Strike Deck, you can visit strikedeck.com and follow Strike Deck on LinkedIn or at Strike Deck on Twitter. To find out more about the Success League, please visit our website, thesuccessleague.io. And follow the Success League on LinkedIn or at TSL Customers on Twitter. To get all of the latest episodes, you can subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Google Play, Stitcher, SoundCloud, and anywhere else you get your podcasts. And finally, thanks for listening, and we hope you'll join us next time. 